Before we start, I'd just like to clear a little embarrassing mix-up on my part. In my introduction, I present Anthony being a chartered accountant. I totally wrongly understood an anecdote he shared after the episode. So my apologies to you, Anthony. This was my blunder, and I just wanted to get this out of the way. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to The Accountant Quits, brought to you by Audit Chain, the world's first decentralized continuous audit and real-time reporting protocol. On this podcast, we discuss how blockchain will impact the accounting profession and how accountants should prepare themselves for the future of work. My name's Umar, your host, and even if some might refer to me as the accountant gone rogue, my job is to provide you with the blockchain knowledge you need that will be relevant for the accounting industry as a whole. Welcome to the second episode focused on blockchain for enterprises. And after Hyperledger, I'm incredibly excited to have the other market leader, Corda, designed by R3. From the get-go, the team behind Corda wanted to solve the pain points of the financial services industry, tainted by duplicated and inconsistent data. And of course, the team resorted to using a distributed ledger and blockchain technology. Now, even if Corda first started with banks, it's a myth that Corda is just for finance. Corda is for all industries and has been adopted in healthcare, insurance, energy, trade, and more. To help us learn more about how Corda can transform business, I have the pleasure today to have Anthony Nixon, a software engineer at R3 who specializes in digital asset solutions and payment integrations. As a former developer evangelist, Anthony enjoys articulating and sharing the world of DLT and blockchain through simple real-world discussions accessible to a broad range of audience. And I've no doubt that Anthony would easily turn a skeptic into a believer. Anthony is the proof that accountants can evolve because as a chartered accountant, he taught himself to code and became instrumental to Corda's current success. In this episode, you will learn what Corda is and the business problem it aims to solve how will banks evolve in the future, the best use cases of Corda, whether it's possible to use Corda to build the same financial mechanisms of the DeFi space, how tokenization works with Corda, and much more. Anthony, welcome to the show and thank you for making the time to be here. Thanks for having me. To start, could you tell us a little bit more about your personal background, how you became interested in blockchain, how you joined R3, and what's your current role at uh, R3 right now as a developer? Sure. So I have a little bit of an interesting background story, I guess. I'm originally from Canada. Um, I was a computer science grad from the University of British Columbia, but I didn't actually go into software right away. So I went and got my trade certification and started working as a mechanic um, on motorcycles for Harley Davidson. Uh, did that for a while. And the thing is, I just kind of got the itch to kind of go back into tech. A lot of things were happening in AI and ML and these new emerging technologies like blockchain, et cetera. So I ended up in Europe doing a master's at the University of uh, Catalonia in, in Barcelona, Spain. And it was there that I kind of just on my free time wanted to explore and see more of Europe as any sort of like, a, you know, a person from overseas would like to do, but I wanted to kind of integrate it with some learning and my studies. So I started attending events. Um, I had kind of got a brief overview and introduction into consensus mechanisms and uh, sort of like the power 
of and potential of blockchain through a distributed systems course at uni. But it was really when I started to visit these sort of blockchain events, these talks, these hackathons that I kind of got a little bit more interested and a little bit more involved in, in the ecosystem and, and what was going on and the excitement behind it. So it was actually at one of these events um, in Germany, in Stuttgart, um, there was a blockchain hackathon there and R3 was a platform sponsor. So at the end of my um, degree, I, I went here to this hackathon, um, never seen Corda before. And I just you know decided with my group uh, during this event to, to adopt it and try to make a solution on it. So we ended up with a tax reconciliation solution for the German government. Um, they were losing somewhere upwards of a, a few billion dollars a year um, in, in tax evasion and lost, uh, lost um, revenues. And we decided that you know, if we had some sort of system on, uh, on Corda where you could kind of have receipts issued with specific codes that could be chained back to the initial issuers or to these uh, organizations that were selling goods, you know, whether it be cars or over-the-counter items, that this could be sort of like spot-checked or audited in a very, very quick and efficient manner. So we actually won that, got like, you know, 2,000 euros in the pocket. And uh, one of the representatives and a really good friend from R3 said, you know, if you want to come over for the summer for an internship, um, we'd be more than happy to have you. So that's kind of how I kind of came in the door and, and got involved with R3. And I, I did that internship and it was really, really enjoyable, really fruitful, being around a wealth of really exciting and exceptionally smart people. And it just kind of motivated me to continue on and you know be a part of this journey and this solution. Um, and that's how I ended up at R3. Wow. I'm curious about how hackathons work because you said you went there without having any knowledge of Corda. Yeah, you ended yeah, up winning so, the competition. So I, I was a little bit surprised myself. So this is kind of one of the things that kind of initially drew me to Corda and said, like, you know, I could be a part of this company. I might want to be involved in this particular solution because, you know, I, I'd say I'm a, you know, a relatively pretty good programmer. And, you know, I, I learned fairly quickly. But the fact is that the ability to create a real live solution you know, with the span of like a, a couple of a couple of days and, and just some like blood, sweat and tears is really sort of surprising, even from that sense. And to have that solution, you know, viable enough and validated by an audience or, or a set of judges to think that, you know, this is something that could potentially fly. It really just speaks to the ease and sort of developer experience that Corda uh, brings with it, which is sort of like, you know, making things a little bit intuitive um, and less sort of um, abstract or, or obfuscated. Like it's sort of, you know, if we get the opportunity to talk about it more, I think Corda is really analogous to how you would think of solutions in a particular domain. So that made it, made it really easy. To prepare this episode, I read uh, Corda's white paper. And I noted that the starting point and the problem that Corda seek to solve was the problem of managing contracts and other agreements between financial companies. So when the founders looked at the financial industry, the common problem that surfaced was the fact that business agreements are recorded by all the different parties separately. The same information about a deal is recorded multiple times across different systems. And you cannot keep that information in one, one centralized location because parties of those agreements do not trust each other. 
So how has the use of a decentralized ledger technology enabled to solve this problem? And what's the entire philosophy underpinning Scoda's approach? So in, in blockchain and DLT space, like you continuously hear a summarizing motto, which I think is, is pretty accurate. It's the idea of what you see is what I see. That kind of encapsulates the value proposition. And it's sort of the first game changer there. You know, as an accountant, you would know that when you have to reconcile or synchronize separate systems, whether that be due to an audit or if it's a regulatory requirement or even just an error adjustment, it often becomes like extremely taxing. Uh, and sometimes a manual process are kind of littered throughout. And this sort of like consensus friction, well, it exists in all industries to some degree, but especially ones that are regulated or rely on multi-party coordination or whose product or service has a lengthy life cycle. So um, that being said, like if all parties can agree on some sort of mechanism, whether it be a blockchain or a DLT platform to maintain a consistent identical view of records, without losing autonomy or having to get, delegate trust to extraneous third parties or competitors, then this becomes very, very appealing and beneficial to all involved. So enabling and leveraging this consistent view of facts throughout the life cycle of a business agreement, and more importantly, doing it in a manner from a business perspective and a technical standpoint that doesn't interrupt or disturb current enterprise systems and industry standards, is really what Corda set out to do. That's really been the North Star um, of inspiration since its inception. And like what you alluded to in terms of like flipping the trust issue on its head, I think that phrase you know, has a lot of great insight uh, because once you've ensured trust and consistency in the facts and records, you know, these facts and records that are underpinning a business relationship, you're not only at that point solving the problem of disagreements and discrepancies, you're also by virtue enabling new additional value in the sense that processes and future agreements can increase in volume and scope if you freed up you know, those capital flows, those human resources, and, and the ability for computers to automate. So given they are provided with an immutable truth, or as we would say, blockchain, or, or some sense of finality, then um, it really just makes things exceptionally attractive for um, businesses. So moving on from the inception of Corda to today, could you provide us with an overview of Corda, the main features of Corda, how its unique architecture is suited to address the problems faced by today's businesses? Sure. So I guess before diving in directly to Corda, I, I guess just blockchain, in general as a concept. In its initial forms, whether that be Bitcoin or some early iterations, uh, you know, Ethereum at all, there was always this consensual view, but it wasn't always uh, like suitable for competitive business ecosystems. Sometimes because it was in a sense too good at what it was doing, being a singular view. So if you have a global record that anyone can see your data, which is the case with uh, the prominent permissionless systems, that opens up sort of this accessibility to all, everybody, you know, competitors, bad actors, and, and more so if that's, you know, something that's 24-7 as a public record. So that's where kind of like Corda took a next big leap and iteration in creating this functional DLT uh, for regulated markets and businesses. The idea that you can maintain the same desirable properties of original blockchain paradigms, you know, like have this immutability the shared view, a distributed nature, 
make it secure, have ordered timestamping. But then you can sort of like add like two little twists, which end up being a little bit major and quite pertinent. Number one, like how about if the networks on Corda were private and permissioned by default? So the thing is everyone who needs to engage in an industry, whether it's like a consortium or a solution space, these are already like by default generally have some sort of gateway or permission access. And this is something that was not being followed at the time in blockchain solutions. So understanding that you can engage with the peers that you need to and sort of be shielded or held away from those who might, you know, be not really inducive to your interests is a really big thing. Um, and that's how finance works in the real world, like as we just discussed. So you don't have like the internet of SWIFT or the public permissionless trade finance network. You know, if you're, you're working with counter counterparties with sensitive high volume transactions, you're either hardline directly or you're using proxies or interacting via encrypted authenticated APIs, et cetera. So I think that was the first big paradigm shift is to say that you can sort of like deploy at a very precise articulate level, the networks that you need to interrupt to do your day-to-day -day business. And then the second thing within that network, whether it be a group of global banks or insured agencies, let's make all transactions, you know, need to know. So when we say need to know, this means that everyone has a subjective view of the state of the world. Each party will always, always have the full immutable chain or the full sort of like record history of anything that they've engaged with. But what about things that, you know, they should not have knowledge about or is completely, you know, unrelated to their particular operations. And the thing is they, they don't in the current traditional ecosystem have access to them, to that information, nor should they, it's a, it's a privacy issue. So this is where Corda really differs. So meaning that if Alice and Bob pass $20 on the network, you know, does George and Sally actually need to know? And the thing is, if, if I sent you something through my bank, uh, my bank would know, your bank would know because they were actively participating in that. But, you know, my account with XYZ or HSBC, like they wouldn't get a broadcast message or some sort of like global immutable record of everything we've done uh, that's unrelated. So Corda does mirror this reality one-to-one -one, and, and it was important to do so. The transaction is not, it's privacy by default, but you're not locked to it as well. So the thing is, if I do something from party A to party B on a quarter network, by default, only the intended participants will receive a copy of that. But if we wanted to say, open that up, if I was in the real world and I wanted to, you know, allow my bank account to be credit checked or given a rating, or if I want to send something to uh, an auditor or a trusted third party, I, I would do that in the real world. And on Corda, you can do that as well. You can just sort of like, you know, um, add an observer or, or pass that data, but it has to be explicit. And I think that really, that really makes sense. So with those in, in tow, like we had consensus and, and the trust and security covered. So and that effectively enabled real businesses to operate in, in regulated environments now using current processes which were already standardized and, are and might be legislated by a particular law or jurisdiction. And then on top of that, I guess we can add like Corda added one more secret sauce in there because blockchain technology and Corda in particular brings so much more value 
than just sort of like reconciliation costs or, or shared views. And, and that is a humongous, you know, value proposition in itself. If we're talking like, you know, millions or, or in the order, it could be, you know, billions, depending on the scope of a particular uh, network transaction or who's involved and, and the scale, et cetera. But the thing is, when you are built from the ground up like Corda was, and you're fortunate enough to have contribution, input, and support from real world entities, you know, top banks were in a consortiums, working groups, were in, in involved with Corda since the part, since the, the very start, then you can start to ask like important questions, not just, you know, what are you doing, but how are you doing it? So Corda really took an additional leap forward when it started embedding like processes and workflows into the design of the solutions itself. So what really separates Corda, like a product that you might see as built against real requirements versus this technology, this innovative pattern that's generally held where it's like you, you build it and they will come. I think the stark difference between the two is that when you have access to real processes and real data and, and real sort of like um, contributions, you can start to create and mirror those business processes in their exact and reliable, reliably unique form. So with Corda, you're able to utilize what's called a workflow engine, which basically can mirror real world processes end to end. So if I had, say, a, a solution provider for a supply chain, you would have these sort of stepwise iterations through the life cycle. You'd have a product moving through a, a supply chain. You'd have a request for quote. You'd have that responded with an official quote, PO, posit, goods are shipped, et cetera, et cetera. So in a few lines of code, if you can create this and move that in whole to a solution based on DLT or blockchain, then you can get to the point, as we kind of mentioned earlier about, you know, automation and new value and, and new solutions based on existing patterns or infrastructures. So this is kind of where Corda became very, very uh, appealing, not just in the banking sector, but beyond finance to things such as supply chain or, you know, trade finance, et cetera. Now, Corda was started with banks in mind, but blockchain, the very nature of blockchain, it removes the intermediary. So in this case, it will, it disintermediates the bank. How do you make it compelling for banks to use Corda? And what I mean is when we speak of cryptocurrencies and payments, I want to speak in maybe from that perspective that we don't need banks anymore. So how is a system designed to replace banks also their savior? So it's a pretty good question. And I actually find this one quite interesting. Just going to it, I think that blockchain, as we commonly know through cryptocurrencies, et cetera, it's an implementation of distributed ledger technology. So what I mean is when people are kind of new to blockchain and, and sort of exploring it, the prominent examples and architectures and, and use cases are, are generally aligned to cryptocurrencies and markets. But the thing is, those initial designs are only sort of like one iteration of the whole like continuum of possible solutions of value that can be extracted from the technology. And let me put it in a way that's more like something of an analogy. Like say you had never seen a blade or a sharp object and then someone bursts into the room and says, behold, you know, I call this an ax. Now we can chop wood. So you're like, perfect. And then from there, you know, you start building houses like you've never done before. 
But the thing is, soon you figure out that the axe has the potential to do many other things besides just chopping that wood, uh, but not necessarily in the same form. So that axe, you know, is horrible for cutting quality steak or shaving your beard, etc. And, and the moral of the story is really that the real gold mine was the abstraction or the recognition of the blade, not necessarily the permutation or the existence of the axe. And um, something that has desirable properties that you can use to build tools certain, uh, like that are suitable for a particular purpose, that's you know, valuable, that encapsulates value. And, and this is the state of DLT. So Corda doesn't bring a broad axe to something as critical and collaborative as an existing financial system. It just takes the concept of that blade, this immutable, consistent, secure, distributed backchain, and it allows existing relationships to reduce or sometimes completely remove friction. And that's in the right now. So I think there's kind of two stages to answer your question is number one is looking at where we are right now and what value can be derived from blockchain and maybe looking a little bit into the future in terms of like, how are these different ecosystems going to interoperate or like, how are, how is the future of banking going to look? And just to start off with the first one, like in practice and, you know, the design of governance, it's not in real, in real terms, it's not up to the technology to dictate the process of regulation in economies. Um, it can sometimes happen. So maybe there's a lot of, you know, techies out there that wish that it would create some paradigm shift automatically. But the thing is generally technology and innovation, they just open the door for discussions and gradual transitions that take place over a, a period of time in regulated industries. So while those on the forefront are saying in tech, let's, let us do this, you know, the future is this, and this is true with cryptocurrencies, there's a lot you can do right now, which dis disintermediates banks and, and eliminates third parties. But the reality is that the reality of the world is that in the here and now, things are going to move on, at least for a time being in sort of like a status quo or at a more um, metered pace. So society is still operating on the here and now. Whatever you do with your cryptocurrencies, at the end of the day, you're going to be, you know, bringing that off chain or off ledger, and you're going to be, you know, wanting to buy a sandwich. Um, and I'm not saying you can't buy a sandwich with Bitcoin, like you definitely can, but I'm just saying like, you know, where can you obtain that sandwich and, and how accessible is it? So banks will evolve, but the thing is, how can banks leverage and extract value in the interim as this transition takes place? I mean, you better believe that as soon as some technology shift is green lighted by regulators and has, you know, massive unrestricted adoption that banks will definitely jump on that um, and shift towards that. And we're seeing that with CBDCs, you know, they're already sort of like being invested and in, looked at by central banks. So you know, banks are heavily involved in that process. But for the time being, there's a ridiculous amount of value for both the bank and the consumer that can be harvested right now by moving traditional workflows and moving um, traditional finance onto uh, distributed ledger technology. So in the right here and now, assuming some adjacent industries remain off ledger for a period of time, the question becomes, can we get on Corda and cut loan disbursement time by two thirds so that companies can have access to crucial capital when they need it most? Or can we you know, move 10% of yearly expenditures from back office tasks to creating sustainable initiatives or banking the unbanked? Or could we improve interest rates for customers by mitigating risk through automation and transparency. So these are real tangible services which banks can provide and leverage right now in what we might call 
you know, a transitional economy or, or ecosystem. So in that sense, why is, uh, you know, a system which is initially could replace banks, you know, like, how is it like sort of a savior? I'd say that there, it's about repositioning where you're extracting value and the expectations. So, um, you know, not all DLTs are designed to replace banks, uh, nor should, should they. Like, um, because to clarify that last statement there, when I say nor should they, as a society, if we really derive value from industry and, and enterprise, I think we need to stop seeing them as static, toss out with every new paradigm or innovation entities. You know, like just like you and I, enterprises are dynamic, they're evolving, they're almost organic in a way. So if we anticipate the change, then we can continuously hold organizations to account. So we can query, like what value are you providing right now? And if you shut down the banks this instant, like at this moment, you know, I, I would personally be a little bit pissed because an individual bank, you know, I'd say that at this very moment, the way that infrastructures and society and the system is operating, they're still providing an immense amount of value, uh, more value than nuisance or friction. So the question is, will that be the case, you know, five years from now, we're talking about the future. And I'd say that for some banks, that are proactive and are kind of evolving, uh, yes, they definitely might you know, carve out a niche and there'll be a place in the, in the new economy for banks. But for many, unfortunately, the answer might be no. It will be no because they you know, refuse to sort of evolve their services or create a, um, a reliable sort of like support or value proposition um, within a, a new decentralized economy or network. And, um, for Corda specifically, in terms of being a savior and enabling banks to be that, you know, former case where yes, we are, we're still viable, we're still providing value. I think it comes down to a few key things that Corda is able to provide uh, out of the box. And the first one being it enables a simple integration. You know, you have enterprise Java tech stacks, which can seamlessly just be plugged into Corda. Number two, the workflows, identities, regulatory conformance, you know, those abilities are built in. So leveraging those, then you have this ability to create results immediately. And then three is the flexibility. So not only is it geared towards current uh, real world uh, iterations and use cases, but Accorda is also completely flexible and open. So what we mean is that banks can not only maximize their services for the time being, but also their potential moving forward um, by jumping on board and, and being able to provide new services and products, adopt new regulations and opportunities in real time as they evolve. So, you know, five years from now, we'll look at a DLT-based bank. And had we not been a part of that journey or had we not uh, seen its organic evolution, you know, we probably will not be able to recognize a bank five years from now as it exists today. But I think that you know, it will, for many banks, they will make that transition. They will be able to create something new. And then as a customer, if I go back and I ask that question, um, and five years from now, is this organization providing more value than nuisance? Yeah, like for a lot of banks, you'd be able to say yes. And that's kind of where the future and the savior um, uh, per se, as you might call it, is for banking. I like the analogy of the axe and the blade. I might steal that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Moving on to Coda Enterprise. So you just mentioned that uh, 
Corda is a free open source code base available on GitHub. Everyone can use it. What's the difference with Corda Enterprise for someone seeking to implement Corda? Should they, of course, I believe it would uh, depend on their use case, but should they be looking at Corda first and then Corda Enterprise? I might have to bring out another analogy for this one. Uh, this is actually a question that you know I've addressed many times because it, it makes total sense to kind of dive in and wonder what the difference is. So just for the record, I'll kind of um, put it as, as clear and, and straight as possible. Corda Enterprise is for the most part identical under the hood to Corda Open Source. The two are completely compatible. Everything related to core functionality is based on the open source core. So where a difference it differs here is that think of Corda Enterprise as a kitted out version of the base model. So you know, like in the early 2000s, um, when everyone was doing up their cars, you'd buy a Honda Civic because it was reliable. And then you'd put in a new air filter, an exhaust, tune the engine, maybe drop in a turbo kit, you know, depending on your wants or needs. Well, then the car manufacturers realized that these specific use cases and making these little adjustments, whether they be you know, low profile tires or an extra 10 horsepower or whatever is relevant to consumers. Well, for many, it was more cost effective to pay a tiny bit more upfront to get something kitted out with warranty by the manufacturer because it would be a fraction of the cost or time associated with learning every detail, sourcing the requirements, you know, like reinventing the wheel per se. So there was this sort of like win-win opportunity and manufacturers really jumped on it. They, you know, they would tune up and offer a new model, whether it be called like the LX or Turbo or Ultimate Drag Demo 2000. You know, everything sounds better when you add the word 2000 after it. So Enterprise has essentially sort of this model as well. So Enterprise has the essential tools and enhancements to be as beastly as possible out of the box um, for mission critical enterprise applications. So some of the things you know, like that you might get is a network manager for issuing certificates and access control on your network. You'd have things like high availability deployment options, you know, uh, hardware security modules, et cetera, et cetera. Database integrations that might be additional or, and then more importantly, you'd have things in an enterprise production environment, you'd have like 24 seven support uh, and SLAs or service licensing agreements. So this is stuff that, is extra that will get you to where you need to be faster. But it's not necessarily for everybody. If you have the, uh, the particular use case where you, you want to kind of do something quick and you, you have like a target market or, or something, then you know, open source might make more sense at that time. Additionally, you can kind of migrate between the two. You can start with open source and you can go to enterprise. Uh, I guess I should probably throw in maybe some real world scenarios or like let me just try to think of one here. So if I'm an independent software vendor and I'm POCing a solution, you know, for maintaining high value collectibles, maybe like pogs or baseball cards or like whatever, um, or like miniature gnome figurines or something like something that, you know, has a market and it really could see a need for provenance and assertion of like own ability and, you know, this kind of thing. Then for me, I would be really concerned with the core features I have a very targeted consumer base and I can kind of build up the solution quickly out of the gate. The collectibles, maybe they won't be trading real time. 
so I can get you know all of the value that I need with open source. So it, it, and then later on, if I get a further uh, funding round or grow into a market solution, you know I, I can evolve and and like migrate over to enterprise. Now this is a completely different use case and scenario than say if I'm a digital assets exchange. So if I'm like you know in the global financial markets or capital markets or just sort of like real time, high volume, like regulated marketplace, you know, everything's got to go like clockwork. Well, I can guarantee you, well, actually I shouldn't say that because I'm not sales, but <laughs> I can most, most certainly in my mind um, assert that you will save a boatload of money and get to production faster um, if you just get Corda Enterprise. If you get that AKA Corda Super Edition tuned by the engineers that built it, 2000 Deluxe. Marketing didn't approve that. So it's just Corda Enterprise or CE for short, but I guess you get the idea. Now, for people who are new to blockchain, before hearing of Corda, I believe most of them would hear uh, of Ethereum first. I'm sure you get these questions a lot, but how would you explain or what is the difference between Corda and Ethereum by design? So there's a few fundamental differences. And I think. This is definitely a very important question for those that are interested in Corda, because these sort of small differences end up in practice or an application to create very, very divergent um, use cases and suitability. So Ethereum is a blockchain implementation that was, you know, designed to execute smart contracts in a very distributed nature and then commit those results to a permissionless, immutable global record. So this idea of uh, transparency, like across the board, and this sort of very, very redundant and self-sustaining, you know, like world computer, they actually like call it a world computer in a sense. So in that sense, there's this pure decentralization focus and this deterministic computation um, were paramount to that particular architecture. This sort of thinking results in two key features. And whether they're positive or negative depends on your particular position or use case. So everything is visible and anyone can participate. Like I can go, you know, create an Ethereum uh, wallet right now, have my private public key and, and start, you know, making moves, start operating, whether that to be deploying a smart contract or engaging or uh, transferring value, et cetera. And number two is every piece of logic. So every smart contract, as they kind of describe a, a functional aspect of, of code, it must be deterministic and able to run across every participating node um, on that network. So this is fundamental to Ethereum. Corda is a DLT, so it's not taking all of the properties or it's not really confining itself to what was traditionally the standard blockchain model, but it was designed to specifically target real world agreements and then synchronize shared facts on a need to know basis. So with that motivation in mind, the results end up becoming that everything is private by default. So it does not broadcast transactions network-wide and only parties involved in a transaction receive a copy of its state by default. Uh, secondly, the logic or business processes are protected in individual. So Corda separates the concept of smart contracts. So what you would sort of on Ethereum deploy as a smart contract, which would handle, you know, basically the uh, pre and post processes, the state management, all this stuff, what you would kind of encapsulate it in one sort of deployment. Corda takes it and separates it into three distinct components. 
So one of them is the state, one of them is the contract and the flow. So the state is an object model which represents some shared facts. So in the most common terms, think of it as a definition for columns that you would put in a traditional database table. If I wanna start holding student records, you know, I would define a student as being like a name, a student number, a date of birth, et cetera, et cetera. So we would have this as a state. Then you have a contract. So the contract is what is going to be agreed upon by all parties that in, engage with this fact. So all parties that would want to transact or update this fact or transfer this value. What are the rules that govern how this can be changed or mutated? So this is analogous to saying like you can never change a student's date of birth. It makes no sense, right? Like that would be a, a functional rule um, and this would reside in the contract. And then going back to this idea of business processes being protected, the last element is the flow. So the flow is where you actually do everything um, as an actor or as an individual on a quarter network. The flow is like where you can assign your steps or build your transactions and make proposals. So in a flow, what I can do is I can have my own secret sort of uh, pre-processes where maybe if I, before I send this um, widget or this item, before I transfer ownership to a counterparty, I might want to check, you know, a government sort of regulation, am I allowed to sell it to this particular person? Or I might want to check if offloading this particular asset has, you know, the enough, has a desirable effect on, you know, my KPIs or my underlying uh, business objectives. Like, do I have authorization within my organization to unleash this asset at this time. So these are things that are very narrowly scoped to the individual and not processes or procedures that you would want that every counterparty that was interacting with this asset would want to incorporate or should have exposure to. So this is the thing is that these processes are actually um, protected and run on the individual node. What is done network-wide is a proposal and a proposal on an update of a state of this uh, fact is then sent to counterparties for them to um, be able to check and verify and then run their own processes regarding their business workflow within the automations that they have within their own flows. So this sort of paradigm is more closely aligned to what business interactions and what you know counterparty agreements are like by default in the real world. And that's sort of like, where the difference kind of entails is how, how quickly can you, and how quickly and accurately can you represent the model that you're trying to um, streamline or facilitate on blockchain? And then, you know, how, how is that sort of protected and, and able to evolve into, into new solutions? So I think Corda being built up for this particular process is very suited. Uh, I'm not saying you can't do it on Ethereum, but it's just a, a little bit different because the intent and the purpose of design wasn't specifically for this. Next, I want to move on to the consensus mechanism. So again, for people new to blockchain, we learn how uh, the consensus mechanism for Bitcoin and Ethereum works. So uh, proof of stake and proof of work. Now, enterprise blockchains are different because enterprise blockchains so do not have native tokens and they don't require incentivization to miners or validators to validate the blocks of transactions and i know technically on corda it's i believe chain of transactions and not block of transactions but could you explain how the consensus mechanism for corda works and if possible 
to make again an analogy with proof of work on Bitcoin? Yeah, so I'll just do a sort of an A-B comparison and it's really sort of agnostic because they're both very, very good at what they do, but sort of relating to the previous question is that it's what's the initial intent and what is each sort of solution trying to accomplish? So for Ethereum's proof of work, um, for those that are kind of new to it, generally what it involves is miners running deterministic code and then bundling transactions the thing is, those transactions are kind of piped through the network at a synthetically fixed rate for the purpose of synchronization. So when Corda was initially being architected or designed, the rate of transactions per second on Ethereum was somewhere between, you know, like 13 to 15 transactions per second. Now, they've built, done a lot of work um, in terms of doing things like building layer twos and then you know new consensus algorithms such as proof of stake etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's always been a struggle with permissionless blockchains in general and those that rely on proof of work so what initially made proof of work so good and why ethereum advocates and why the permissionless space kind of adopted this mechanism was basically because of the ecosystem where it's very important that it's resilient to tamper proofing uh, it's tamper proof um, nobody's going to hack the network, et cetera. You can still hack you know, a smart contract with buggy code, but manipulating on a proof of work system, an actual committed historic entry, like it's, it's damn hard. And so that's why I have nothing but my hat off to this consensus mechanism, because it literally you know, has, for the most part, stood the test of time in terms of creating something that's accessible to all. But the thing is, Enterprise networks are not really the same. We already kind of alluded to it. They are not or should not be permissionless in most cases. And, and then secondly, you know, the mistrust tends to have some fixed dimensionality to it. So it's not like a free-for-all, you know, everybody around the world come and try to steal tokens or something. When you're in a business consortium or a network of allies or counterparties who you're doing regular um, transactions with and deals with, when I say that there's some fixed dimensionality to it, I mean that at some axis of the business process, we are generally delegating trust by default. So this could be an up the chain entity um, or a regulator or a government, or we could be involved in you know, a self-regulated industry where governance is by sway of votes or consensus. But the idea is that there is some reliance or interoperability with a trusted party. And, and then so if we can choose and know at all times who holds that trust, then we're able as an organization or as an enterprise to say, okay, we're going to delegate, you know, a little bit of trust. We don't need, you know, to have something that anybody around the world would internally be on the network and be attacking and, you know, could do this, could do that. Um, the thing is, if, if I'm, you know, sending all of my data to a government regulator, and that regulator, you know, gets hacked or whatever, you know, all bets are off. So really the weakest link is that regulator. But if you're forced to engage with that regulator, then you can say, you know, why not have a mechanism that utilizes an established chain of trust or an established, you know, infrastructure that we're subjected to anyway. And this is where the concept of a notary comes in. So this is where you realize that if you just are willing or forced by industry and regulation and the you know, operational constraints to delegate a little bit of trust, then you can kind of 
<laughs> realize that you can strap in and take off. The TPS shuttle is ready for liftoff. You're gonna, you're, we're able to scale this massively. So the consensus mechanism on Corda has two primary stages. So the first one is that at the node level, so at your individual identity on the network where you are doing all of your sort of like transactions and where you're interacting, your node will automatically verify any update or transaction as soon as it's received before you will be allowed to sign on it or before you will actually send that to be committed or uh, and notarized to the stage two. So what this means is that when we talked about earlier, these contract constraints, these rules that are global to a particular ecosystem, such as like you can't issue, you know, a, a negative interest loan or like, you know, for the, for the sake of argument, maybe you can on your particular ecosystem. But if you didn't want to, and you wanted to ensure that nobody did, this would be in a contract, which would be the same on all uh, across the network. And your node would automatically validate the reliability of this update. Does it break any conforming rules, any sort of like global uh, constraints? So from there, we know that the iteration or the update to this shared fact is viable. It's like legitimate, it's possible. Once we've confirmed that sort of verification, then we know the only thing we have to work, worry about now is um, the double spend. So even though this person is saying, okay, I'm gonna pass you this totally legit asset, we're going to change ownership. You don't know if they've also simultaneously proposed that to somebody else. So this is something that proof of work solves with like a 51% consensus. Um, but the way that Corda does it is there's something on the, on the Corda network called a notary service. And the notary service can have different, inter, different sort of permutations or uh, deployable instances. Like it can be that sort of overarching, you know, regulator or, or governing body for an industry, it can be a consortium or sort of a, a, a grouping. So like, say there's like 20 insurance companies on our network, on our particular solution, we're going to say, we'll take the 10 most prominent agencies, and we'll allow them to run sort of some sort of consensus algorithm amongst themselves um, to act as a notary. So there's different ways that you can deploy this based on your use case. But the idea is that that notary is in charge of two things. Number one is to timestamp and actually order transactions on the network. So actually giving it um, a viable sort of like, this is when it happened, which is uncontestable. And then the second thing is to prevent double spends by basically storing a list. So the list is what we call in Corda a state reference, which is a, uh, a completely unique identifier for any issued object, state, or fact, like anything that you would store on a Corda network has a unique state ref. And it basically, the notary will store a list of this and think of it as like a burn list. Anything that comes in twice uh, would be rejected. And that rejection would propagate all the way up to the issuer all the way up to the initiator or the proposer of that particular um, transaction. So in this way, Corda is able to not only solve the same sort of challenges that Ethereum has to solve on a day-to-day -day basis, but do it in a way that sort of like makes the right compromises to get the viability and the performance of the system up to a state where you can actually use it for production-grade environments and transactions. Speaking of uh, TPS and scalability, this is the perfect segue onto my next question, which is about the blockchain trilemma. So the blockchain trilemma was conceptualized by Ethereum's founder, Vitalik Buterin, 
And he states that a smart contract can be only two of the following three things. So it can be scalable, decentralized, and or secure. Blockchains are often forced to make trade-offs that prevent them from achieving all three aspects. The trilemma model is just a model to conceptualize the various challenges facing blockchain. There's no law stating that all three cannot be achieved. What's your opinion on how Corda's fundamentals fit into this trilemma? So I think the assertion is true um, at this point in time. If you mean those criteria, um, scalable, decentralized, secure in, in the most absolute sense, so in the strictest way possible. But I say that value isn't really derived from infinite absolutes. Primarily, when you're looking for solutions, you'd want something to be true, um, at least it, primarily in a practical sense. So you can make some small trade-offs. I mean, Ethereum dips into the gray zone also. For instance, you know, updates don't reach pure finality on Ethereum. They're just, when something kind of makes it on-chain, it's just astronomically unlikely to be reverted after X number of blocks. So this is how it operates. And it's to the point where, you know, within our reality or the way that we see the world, this totally makes sense. Cryptographic security, you know, operating all across society or hash algorithms for generating unique IDs. These are also, you know, only reasonably reliable, you know, up to our perception or grasp of reality, you know, what we could do in our lifespan, et cetera. So that's like the first thing that, you know, we aim for when we're looking for solutions. And I'd say like, secondly, this is something that a lot of people miss is you'd be very interested in anything that is better than whatever paradigm or ecosystem that you're operating on top of at the moment. So I, personally, I take a padlock on a door of my garage over a draped blanket like any day. And, you know, it's not the perfect solution. You can still cut that with a bolt cutter. But, you know, it, it's a it's a trade off between like is somebody just like flipping this curtain and, you know, a, a, this blanket and then walking in and taking my stuff. So I think with blockchain solutions, it's the same sort of perspective that needs to be taken and realize that some assertions are really just goals for where we want to be or theoretical exercises um, that push us to improve. And back to the question regarding Corda, can Corda satisfy, you know, with no trade-off one, two, three? I'd say absolutely not, you know, but by engineering exactly for business, we can get you astronomically close to an optimal workflow and where you might have a niggle or suggestion um, if it's regard, you know, scalability or decentralization or whatever, you can build up a solution on Corda that is almost for sure there or better than what you are operating in traditional industry at this moment. So, you know, I'll just append to that as a bonus. If you make a suggestion or have a use case, you know, the Corda core engineers, most of the product is actually derived from real needs, from feedback from industries, you know, okay. We need a way to not only act on behalf of ourselves, but how do we actually sign transactions and do things on behalf of subsidiaries or like parties that are delegate, uh, delegating trust to us. And that's when Corda accounts came in. So we actually developed features on the fly. But yeah, like it's basically at this point in time, Corda is absolutely production grade, production ready um, and out there in the wild and able to satisfy those constraints one, two, three in a way that's not really previously been seen in industry. Um, there's definitely still work to go and we can still strive for perfection, 
but um, you know, along the way to perfection, we're gonna you know derive as much value as possible, and that's really what's exciting about blockchain right now. Moving on to Coda's role in financial disclosure and assurance. If I understand correctly, Coda's design also enables regulatory and supervisory observer notes, but could you provide a practical example of how it would work with the regulators, for example? Sure, yeah. Um, so this is sort of, this whole discussion on financial disclosure and assurance, it's sort of like an artifact of that really necessary feature of privacy by default. So the fact that you know everything is need to know well, there are other people besides the participants who you know, probably need to know and you, know, you might want to rise the, the curtain or just expose some of these transactions and data, whether it be irregular or whatnot. So this question has you know, many different answers because Corda has so much flexibility. But I guess in a practical uh, perspective, I'll kind of take those options and, and segment them into on-ledger and off-ledger. So when we say on-ledger, we mean on the Corda network, conforming to the blockchain DLT sort of like ecosystem and constraints. On-ledger, you can have regulators, and it's very common to have participants on a Corda network that are the um, governing body or regulatory authority. So they have their own identity and their own node. And in that sense, it's very, very easy to simply and, and quickly expose elements of data. Uh, from a programming perspective, uh, I won't go too much in detail, but you can think of it any sort of mechanism. I can send batched intervals. We talked about flows. So flows, you know, you can create a flow that will automate things like sending uh, certain slices of data or certain sort of models that are aggregates of, of transactions to a particular party. So that would be basic programming within a flow uh, that you could then call as a subflow to one that is you know, creating transactions or interacting with other parties. So these flows can be chained. You can also do things like have uh, schedulable states. What I mean by schedulable state is I can actually create instances of records or facts, you know, things that we would want to store as database uh, objects. I can create instances of these that will automatically exhibit behaviors at intervals or scheduled times. So I could say like, not only is this bond in existence, but this bond will you know, send out or emit a report at a particular period of time. And um, this is very easy to do uh, with Corda. You can also do things like directly send transactions. So privacy by default means that when something is sent to the notary, the notary timestamps it and signs it as finalized, that will propagate to the ledgers of all the one the parties that were participants, but I can then take that record from my ledger and directly fire that data load or that transaction to a counterparty that I want to share it with. Additionally, I can create constraints uh, in the contract that will force a particular object model or a particular type of transaction to include um, an observer or a regulator as a participant so that they are what we call piggybacked onto that finality, onto that uh, finalizing ledger right. So there's many different patterns. I mean, uh, there's just so many ways to do it, but that's co covering the on-ledger case. When we're talking off-ledger, we sometimes get so excited about blockchain and you know what we're going to do on whatever XYZ network 
that we forget that like half of our processes or, or part of our business at least is, is operating on traditional um, systems, you know, like uh, outside of blockchain. So Corda also makes it very easy to integrate and operate with off-ledger systems as well. So not only does that, you know, if the regulator or an auditor or, you know, a contractor that I need to send transactions to or data to is not on Corda, maybe because, you know, it, they're only like a one-time consultancy or they, they don't really, you know, have a place on this particular domain. What I can do is, is easily, just as we discussed, within a, a core to flow, I, I can interact with off-ledger services. So I can fire off a payload to an external API, or I can basically generate, query my ledger, um, extract some data, put that into a template, and you know, email that as a signed document or do whatever with it. So the options are, are just all out there, and it's just very seamless. So this is one of the things that makes Corda so... I guess, attractive to industries that are regulated is that, you know, everything's been thought of from the ground up in the sense of like, what do you need to do uh, in a regulated industry? And so all of these sort of, you know, adjacent functionalities are already built in out of the box. And we have a very, very one-to-one, as mentioned, um, sort of process and and paradigm to the real world um, analogies. Before we continue, we'll take a quick commercial break from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Audit Chain, the world's first decentralized continuous audit and real-time reporting protocol. Some of you listening might be aware that I previously used to be an external auditor. Now, traditional audit methodology focuses on materiality and not accuracy. We are constrained by time and cannot audit 100% of the transactions and therefore we perform sampling. But the emerging technology of blockchain is here to disrupt the profession and solve the pain points of audit. Audit Chain decentralizes audit and uses an independent assurance methodology that automates auditing tasks and continuously audits 100% of the transactions. With more and more automation, accountants will increasingly find themselves becoming redundant. If you are a forward-thinking CPA or chartered accountant and want to participate and be in touch with the latest developments from Audit Chain in decentralizing the audit profession, you should apply for membership by visiting the DCARB Alliance Association at dcarb.org join. I recently did an episode with Karen Attorney from Hyperledger. For the sake of one's understanding between the different enterprise blockchain solutions, could you compare how Corda would differ with the other two popular services being, uh, like I mentioned, Hyperledger and Consensus Quorum? Sure, yeah. So just a caveat or like a disclaimer, I guess, uh, you know, as an engineer at Corda, I'm very, very hyper-focused on particular, you know, regulated use cases, et cetera. So I can't, you know, really pass too much sort of like synopsis or judgment on uh, competitor platforms other than, you know, there's a lot of anecdotes or there's, we have a slew of solution providers and companies that do migrate, um, you know, back and forth between different solutions. And at any given time, most of, uh, most clients or, or most sort of, I guess ecosystem participants will at some point or another be experimenting with all of the different um, options out there uh, as they should. So definitely you hit the nail on the head. So consensus quorum, hyperledger, and R3's Corda 
are definitely the front runners in the enterprise blockchain space. I think that the differences start to become apparent in where they started and then how they kind of built up these solutions built up to meet the needs of the clients. So Corda, as we mentioned, was sort of built up grassroots, kind of going from a particular financial slant, uh, fintech use case, what is needed in regulated industries and how can we make that happen and leverage, you know, the properties of DLT and blockchain. On the flip side, Quorum and Hyperledger, and Hyperledger in particular, have generally kind of gone a little bit of a different sort of like a, a different trajectory in their evolution. I'd say that without looking, you know, too much into the detail of their architectures, they are very much more analogous to the traditional permissionless systems, but they are able to satisfy and build up towards the needs that are uh, that businesses require. So, for instance, Hyperledger, if permissionless systems have this sort of global record, well, Hyperledger is able to create these channels, which are basically like P2P or transmissions, which are private and secure. So it's kind of like an ability to create the solution, but from different perspectives and different avenues. Um, I'd say that to be honest and fair, I'm going to kind of like give what I sort of like perceive as benefits and trade-offs between the different platforms. And these competitors have, you know, a lot going for them. So one thing I like about Consensus is Consensus, like R3, uh, like Corda, also has a very, very um, active and forward-thinking ecosystem. There's a lot of like great talent at that company and the types of products and the types of, you know, solutions and the way they're able to onboard um, use cases, I think is very, very impressive. So, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoy, you know, some of the things that they provide in terms of like resources and things that they're doing in R&D in the industry. Um, Hyperledger, total beast, generally maintained by IBM and has been sort of like a staple name in the space for a while. Uh, I think that they've had a few hiccups in the last like year or so, like uh, uh, maybe Google it or whatever. Since, but, you know, they're still having a lot of participation and there's a lot of action and viability there. But I think that Corda not to be too biased or whatever, I feel that in our own way, there's a lot of excitement building in the sense that this year, especially, we've kind of taken some of the predicates or building blocks to these financial solutions and started to expand them into places that were, were driven by real need. And when it comes to like CBDCs and interoperability, you know, with central bank participation and with sort of like all the work that's going on internally, some of which I can't talk about, I think there's a, a lot of excitement. So I'd say that for those that are listening, if my answer is, is too sort of like, you know, wishy-washy, because I don't know the, all the details of Forum and Hyperledger, take a look at all of them and, um, you know, like see, you know, how you feel and, and see how your particular use case can translate into a real world solution. And that is a starting point. I think I'm, I'm very confident that, you know, Corda it would be very appealing and can really offer a lot of value because of our unique sort of uh, trajectory and approach to the design. Moving on to the use cases, I did mention in the beginning that 
Corda is not just used for finance, but it's it can be deployed across a variety of industries. But if we do stay in finance for a while, could you maybe provide some some of the best use cases? If possible, touch on the accounting and auditing industry if you have any at the moment. Sure, yeah, this is like, I have mixed feelings about this question. On number one, I'm thoroughly excited by a lot of the things that I see going on. But on the other hand, this is not my forte. So I'm not a commercialization expert per se nor keeping up, you know, with all of the numerous clients and partners, et cetera. But let's just like throw some out there and then I'll, I'll kind of bring them, rein them in and, and talk about how it affects accounting and auditing in general. So some of the more interesting things that I've kind of seen, um, there's a lot of supply chain work. There's this company called Ripe.io and they were doing um, basically life cycle and provenance of produce and fruit on Ledger. So kind of tracking the from farm to consumer tracking the life cycle of a particular consumable uh, of a particular agricultural good and i thought you know this is not something totally new but the way that it was sort of really cleanly implemented and the sort of the things that they were thinking about in terms of the solution. So it wasn't just about, you know, getting the product from A to Z and saying, did this disappear or not? You also had intermediary steps such as like grading and, you know, um, and validation of the product, whether it's conforming to particular requirements for health and safety checks or things like, you know, basically figuring out properties of the particular item and how that's best, you know, marketed or, or how, how that can be routed and consumed and, you know, quality standards, et cetera. So to have this sort of like approach that is incorporating and leveraging parties that, you know, are not necessarily as linear as what you would initially implement in a solution, I thought was really creative and, and very interesting. Another avenue is um, the trade finance space. So being able to kind of coordinate across such a complex network of actors, something such as like a, you know, a loan in trade finance where you have, you know, so many parties just kind of at stake within different jurisdictions and operating on, you know, tight deadlines and, and, and time spans, whether that be sort of the perishability of a particular good or the fluctuation of a commodity while it's in flight, like being able to respond and create a solution that is able to be, you know, dynamic and, and durable enough to handle the trade finance space um, is exceptionally compelling as a blockchain use case. And Corda is one of the strongest uh, platforms in this particular area. There's, uh, you know, the Marco Polo project, uh, there's Contour, these are sort of like consortiums of humongously successful and active um, banking institutions and, and trading authorities that are kind of getting together to solve these sort of problems. Now, bringing it back or reining it into sort of the auditing uh, industry and accounting in general, I'd say that what makes it exciting from an accounting use case is that by default, auditing and accounting is implicit in any solution that you're kind of creating on Corda. So having this sort of immutable provenance or chain of transactions that are either, you know, following a particular item of value or tracking the evolution through a life cycle 
it's basically streamlining any sort of backend process that you might be having to do for either, you know, your own particular bottom line or for uh, regulatory requirements. So this makes it very, very relevant. And I would say that any of these you know, particular use cases would be completely intertwined with the input and the sort of action and interaction of the accounting and auditing departments in all of these uh, counterparties and organizations. Now, it also gets really crazy. And I don't know if I, if you asked this or if I answered this, but when we start to talk about interoperability between different networks and between different solutions, then accounting and auditing becomes exceptionally important. And in terms of interoperability, so Corda takes basically a holistic approach to it. We have dedicated engineering teams that operate. When you say interoperability, it's not just like Ethereum to Corda, or it's, it's not just, you know, like one platform to another. There's different layers of abstraction. So within Corda, because these are permission networks, you can have um, segregated networks, which are private within their own sort of like a, a cluster or domain. And there's cross interoperability between these segregations, which we call business networks. And then you have a Corda network that's deployed for insurance. And you have a Corda network that is deployed for um, say trade finance or supply chain. So how do you get these actors um, working together? And this is sort of related to cross-network uh, interoperability. And I did a talk on Corticon related to cross-network swapping, et cetera. So these are all um, extremely streamlined with Corda right now. And then you have, of course, the big you know, cross-platform or cross-chain. So no matter what your particular use case, there's always gonna be on the back end or the tail end of that, a slew of opportunity and a sort of like um, a frictionless, streamlining of the accounting and auditing that goes on beyond behind the scenes in terms of accounting and auditing as a particular solution this is definitely happening i'm just not really keen to the particular you know software vendor or solution that is that's doing this right now i did see a particular tutorial though on youtube that was discussing how to do triple uh, entry accounting on corda and there's um Obviously, like I, like I mentioned, within the professional services division, uh, accounting modules and solutions are kind of baked into broader solutions as well. But if you are at home and you feel like starting an accounting solution that is, you know, modular and something that can be leveraged on, uh, on network by any other company, then there's definitely a tremendous opportunity for this. And from a developer perspective, I can definitely encourage it because I know off the back of my head, like, you know, memorize all the different ways to protect and access data. And I would say it's like right for the picking. The solution is there. You just have to go create it. All right. I'll be watching the video you mentioned on so triple entry accounting on Corda. It's an important subject of this podcast. It's, it will be a recurring theme on this podcast. So I will be having a look at it. Next, uh, moving on, DeFi on Corda. You wrote an article on Medium titled Introducing DeFi for Corda Enterprise Networks. I will include a link in the show notes of this episode because I would highly recommend people to, to read it. Could you provide a condensed view uh, or explanation on how Corda can utilize the same financial mechanisms of the DeFi space? If possible, compare it to DeFi application like Uniswap or 
Compound, which is a lending and borrowing platform? Sure. So this is really exciting for anybody, you know, who's new DeFi, decentralized finance. This is flaming hot, like all across the block space, blockchain ecosystem. So it, it's just completely going nuts and bananas uh, for the last 12 months or so. We have a full-time DeFi working group right now that is basically addressing the solutions and, and the questions at play that we'll discuss. I'll kind of, I guess, do my best to dive in to what this could look like on Corda from my perspective. This is not sort of saying what, you know, what we might release, you know, a month down the road or, or not promoting exactly what you should build today. But I'll say that you could build whatever you want today. It's quite simple on Corda. So let's just talk about that. One of the most interesting things about DeFi is this sort of new avenue or sort of permeation of liquidity. Like this, oh, there's just like so much fluidity in value that is able to just take off and kind of change hands and, and move seamlessly when you have this sort of like removal of a centralized uh, exchange or a centralized party that is orchestrating or coordinating. So Corda is in a very unique position, I think, because DeFi took most of the industry by surprise. But what makes it so interesting is this sort of like focus at this particular point of time and this openness as well to cross-network interoperability. So DeFi, as we know it today, I think will look completely different six months 12 months from now. And the changes that I see happening are that we're on basically DeFi 1.0. We're on sort of like the simplest kind of uh, mechanisms and engagements that, that can be automated and you know trustless between counterparties without an intermediary. So we're talking about things like asset swaps, like one from another. How do you, how do you assign value or make a fair exchange um, without some sort of like centralized authority tracking exchange rates or, or deriving or, or storing a list of, of valuations, et cetera? Or how do you sort of like lend or borrow money and you know, have that asset um, that you're lending out? How do you have that kind of contractually guaranteed by you know, maybe having the borrower lock in some sort of uh, liquidity as, as collateral, et cetera? So all of these things which are being done now are very exciting, but they're only sort of like the, the tip of the iceberg, because right now you have different blockchain implementations that all have different strengths and weaknesses, but most importantly, um, all of these different platforms and solution spaces have different levels of privacy, identity, and governance. And what this opens the door for is to have some sort of like, rather than recreating these DeFi 1.0s across all of the different networks or all the different implementations is to say like, you can take the strengths of each particular uh, platform and then kind of slice out a new bespoke decentralized finance existence or space. One that kind of solves or creates value in that particular ecosystem, but with the caveat or the key critical feature being that it can move liquidity and interoperate with, uh, with counter networks or between different DeFi implementations. And I think that this becomes really, really interesting. So imagine a world where you have all of this liquidity and value 
that's operating in the cryptocurrency space, you know, which by market share, you would say like, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever. But imagine if you had all these alternative tokens or wrap tokens on Ethereum and you made a ton of money and then you want to invest that money into something that requires regulation or requires interoperability with a banking or financial industry. And then, you know, how do you create that identity? How do you create that wrapping of, you know, requirements in terms of like AML uh, requirements or regulation and, you know, ownership and provenance uh, that you can expect and say, if you were operating bank to bank, but how do you do that from, you know, one space to another and you can definitely do this by sort of like creating you know these different layers and abstractions on one network but the thing is if you have something like corda which is already you know known for its connectivity and its adoption within the financial industry and amongst banks um, you know corda is involved in many of the cbdc projects so cbdc being central bank digital currency when you have access to this these regulated identifiable permission value flows. And then you, you see that there's an opportunity for a bridge to take this, um, this value and this, these assets from a DeFi space in, uh, in, on, on Ethereum or on a permissionless network. Then you kind of onboard them or relay them, you know, create an instance or an issuance on a permission network such as Corda. And in that sense, you can run the same decentralized, you could do like an asset swap or, or a uni swap, but in, rather than being from like token A to Z, you can make it from like, you know, registered asset or like certified bond A to certified bond like B or Y or whatever, and have all of that um, sort of identity and AML and regulation sort of seamlessly handled. In terms of like creating a 1.0 solution or like a Uniswap implementation on, on Corda, that's very easy to do. I don't even remember what I wrote in that sort of document or that medium blog because that was like a year ago or more. And you know, I, I, that was the very early days. Like things were just sort of like taking off. So it was just sort of like daydreaming there. But from an engineering perspective, from an engineering perspective, you just like, you know, we could fire this, you know, out of the gate. The, the difference, uh, Corda is Turing complete. So anything you can do on any programmatic system, you can do on Corda. Now, permissionless systems such as Ethereum, one of the things that makes them very easy to implement DeFi is the fact that everybody has real-time access to the same data. There's no sort of like privacy against this global ledger or this global blockchain record. This is a quarter being privacy by default. You would have to explicitly expose something such as an activity stream of, you know, number of issued tokens out in the wild at this time, number being actively traded versus the number of counter tokens and their analogous demand. So this would kind of be something you would do in like a, you could have a court of service that sort of passes anonymized data related to this. Programmatically, it's pretty trivial, but um, it's definitely, you know, something that I think corporations and entities will be leveraging. Uh, and our DeFi working group right now I can tell you without a doubt, they're going to make it as easy as possible. So just as, you know, just somebody who's not focused on the DeFi space, I'm into, you know, digital assets and I was currently working on payments. Uh, I could go and, and build a Uniswap on Corda um, tomorrow.
Um, you know, obviously I have a lot of experience with Corda, but the programmatically, the structure and the predicates are there. And what we like to see in the future, and I, what I hope for, is that these solutions will be so easy um, to create out of the gate, out of the box, um, in terms of building up sort of SDKs and ways that you can just um, seamlessly decide, I want to try to do this and then make that happen. But where the value will really come in is to have this in within the sphere of the sphere or ecosystem of regulated um, permission markets that can interop with um, fiat and real live institutions such as banks and central bank digital currencies, and then seamlessly have that value um, migrate between different privacy abstractions and different networks. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> All right. I encourage people to uh, start to get to grips with DeFi 1.0, though, because, I mean, DeFi 2.0 will be insane. So you already have to have a good understanding of what's being done right now. Definitely. I think there's a lot of knowledge that can be, you know, harvested from, from the Internet, particularly. Uh, if you Google DeFi and there's some sites like DeFi Pulse and, you know, if you hit Wikipedia, you see some of the great sort of solutions and algorithms. And the thing is that fundamentally at a abstract level and algorithmically, these are not too complex to understand. I would challenge anybody to kind of dive in and kind of see what's behind a Uniswap or see what's behind a, you know, an automated market maker um, and, and just kind of like dive into it at a very cursory level. You can understand, oh, okay, that's how they're doing it. You know, they're using this particular fixed fixed uh, equation or they're using you know this variable and that variable to automate or they're using this issue uh, this ability to lock um, assets so wherever there's these type of patterns they are available in most platforms and spaces so if you wanted to lock assets on um, on corda we have something called an encumbrance which allows you to chain uh, one particular state or fact to another so that one can only be consumed if the, the evolution and the contract of, of an adjacent state is valid. So that would be you know, a very simple lock mechanism. And, and if you look at the Corticon cross-chain swap, that's a delivery versus payment algorithm, which uses a, a different type of locking asset. Um, so all these type of things are, are definitely worth knowing. But then the thing is, how do you, how do you want to apply that and you know, leverage that value? That's gonna be interesting. And that's an important tip that you mentioned, because if you have an, an, uh, a good understanding of how a DeFi protocol works, for example, uh, a DEX, uh, Uniswap, or uh, automated market maker, then any other ecosystem that you go to is going to be the same principle, either if it's on Corda, Cardano, Solana, it's going to apply the same principle. For the next question, I'll need you to put your sales hat on. So if, if there's an executive or anyone listening who wants to utilize and implement some of the tools or frameworks offered by Corda, how should they go about? Should they directly contact the Corda team? Or of course, if they're not making use of the open source uh, Corda code, or, and then could you offer some guidance on how the onboarding of a client would be? Okay, so this is, yeah, a good question. I'll do my best. I'd say that, like, traditionally, I promised myself that, you know, I would never really sell anything, but I am completely amenable and I love giving things away, such as, like, uh, you know, giving information. 
And in the blockchain sense, as a developer, I can basically give away free money. So, you know, you have a solution, it makes a few million dollars for somebody, everybody's happy. Pocorda, if you want to get started, there's very different sort of perspectives or trajectories that somebody new to Corda would want to take. If you are, say, like an ISB and you want to create software, you want to create something, a solution that you know in different counterparties in a particular industry could really use or could really leverage, and maybe you, you have a smaller team or whatnot, but you have a great idea, I think that we have something called a venture development team. And if you Google or look at r3.com, you can find links to venture development. So venture development does everything to make it as easy as possible. They have something called a court of playbook, which would literally walk you through the inception and ideation of your idea, including validation, all the way over to technical design and you know how you would apply Corda, the best sort of like, you know, things to avoid, things to do right, how you kind of create the solution in the real sense, and then how you can market and sell that. So just end to end, there's just so much resource and they have their own active community um, in terms of, you know, places and forums that you can speak and, and, and attend sessions and just they even have um, things like grants or the additional support if you if you know you're really hyped up and you're completely viable and ready to go. So that would be a first stop. If you're a humongous company and say you have a slew of developers and you just want to you know integrate with an existing system or create you know something that is really high stakes and you're rearing to go, I would you know talk to first check out r3.com and you know see some examples and stuff. But then right off the bat. You can, you know, talk to professional services uh, just to get sort of like an orientation. Um, I've had people speak to me. I'm not in professional services, but I've given sort of like basic education on things like uh, how to form a team, how to get something through to deployment, you know, how to design basic core apps, and et cetera, et cetera. So these are things that professional services does, but like amped up like 10,000 times. So these are the kings of of real life code and production grade uh, deployments. They will know everything you need to do, uh, be able to advise you. And if you need additional um, assistance in terms of manpower and expert core dev devs for creating more challenging aspects of the solution, then you know, that's also available through professional services as well. Another aspect or avenue to kind of get involved in if you're interested in Corda is to definitely at least take a glance, pretend you're a developer. So even if you're not a developer, there is a slew of developer resources which are accessible uh, to the general public in terms of you know, just getting you up to speed on the conceptual ideas around blockchain and around Corda in general. And a vibrant ecosystem, actually, there was something that just kicked off called the Corda um, Developer Portal. So there's a developer portal that you can join and you'll get things like notifications on events. You'll get things like, you know, like tutorials on how to do things, you know, whether it be boot camps or whether it be operating on a particular SDK, because Corda has so many different succinct and simplified APIs that you can rapidly create solutions with, such as like accounts, tokens, SDK, et cetera, the recently released payments SDK. So you would get sort of like through developer perspective, you would get an overview or an understanding of how these operate. And with that in mind, you can basically have the confidence to, to discuss in real terms with, um, with developers under you or with contractors or with clients. 
you know, how this thing's going to work and what kind of value it's going to bring. So I definitely encourage that aspect as well. So we kind of have that sort of like, um, uh, you know, system integrator, large corporation approach. We've got the developer perspective and then we have that ISB or um, individual solution, you know, into, uh, you know, solution provider uh, vendor that you can go as well. So everything's there, all the resources and support. And so I would encourage anybody to get involved. We've touched on many different topics today, but I could not do this episode without speaking about tokenization. I'm quite fascinated by this, uh, by this topic. So for people new to tokenization, first, I would recommend you to listen to the episode I did last week with uh, Sabrina Budafar. But simply put, tokenization refers to the conversion of any physical assets into its digital form. Now, Ethereum has the popular ERC-20 standard for tokenization of assets, but could you speak about the tools at Corda that you use to tokenize and issue assets? Yeah, so we have our analogy or, you know, one-to-one counterpart to an ERC-20. So the ERC-20 is a, the fungible token standard. Um, it allows you to, you know, divide and, and reconstitute tokens or items of value um, in a very standardized uh, API or, you know, method of calling the code that every developer across different solutions can interoperate with. So that's a very powerful thing. And um, Corda has the exact same analogy. We call it the tokens SDK. It's very, very simple to use. So it not only handles fungible tokens, um, it also does non-fungible tokens. So if you're all into NFTs and this sort of like boom, that's a different Ethereum protocol, uh, ERC-721, and Tokens SDK also um, does fungible and non-fungible. So the building blocks are there to just rapidly pump out um, whatever type of token you need. There's also a third sort of like feature set or ability of the Tokens SDK. And that's what we call an evolvable token. So not only are we talking about, you know, something like a fiat representation, which would be a fungible token, you know, you want to, you know, get, trade a dollar for 50 cents and then, you know, put four quarters and then, you know, do a dollar with different owners. But you also have this idea that some assets, whether they be fungible or non-fungible, would sort of change or evolve over time. Think about if I did like an NFT or something for, a, a used car, right? And that used car has certain characteristics which are not static or not held throughout its life cycle. What I can do is I can issue that car once as an evolvable token, uh, as evolvable non-fungible token. And then what this evolvable token will also have is a list of maintainers. So maintainers being not just, uh, you know, every token will have an issuer, somebody that certified its initial existence or brought the value onto the chain or ledger. But in addition to this issuer, you can have maintainers in the quarter space. And these maintainers can be delegated or given authority to update the definition or the actual properties of this besides just trading hands, right? So when I go to a mechanic and I get this car like done, get it, got in my like 5,000 mile service or whatever, then that mechanic is able to enter that record to the actual base definition of that token. And then that token can still seamlessly transfer ownership and operate at fluidity uh, throughout a token market or space or ecosystem with this sort of underlying definition being continuously evolving and maintained. So that's a very, very powerful thing. And tokens you know, are huge. 
So right now, I am kind of transitioning onto working on digital assets where we'll basically be creating building blocks or um, sort of like solutions that will expedite the design and implementation of any sort of movement or interoption, interoperability with digital assets. But if you think of digital assets as like a buzzword in industry, everybody's talking digital assets. When you know, digital asset is so abstract and broad and, and underlying that digital asset is some sort of record, which in almost every case is, is going to be sort of encapsulated in a, a fluid token. So tokens are just humongous and huge. And the thing is, when we talk about where this is being used and how it's being used, anything that you do on blockchain or uh, on, on Corda specifically, when you represent a factor encapsulate some sort of idea or assertion at its base level, you are just, you know, you're operating Corda with a contract state, but when, where tokens comes into play is really just streamlining a consistent method of interaction with that detail and then making it fluid. So I wouldn't really, I don't want to get too like spiritual about it or whatever, but like <laughs> tokens, it, it, think of it really as like a mechanism. It's really just something that, that streamlines and enables value to, to exchange hands and to, to operate on a particular platform. And in that sense, most um, platforms will have tokens to some degree. I think just some make it much more easier to use than others. And I would say that from a developer perspective, perspective, Corda is very, very easy to use and is being utilized by most of the solutions on Corda. At the time of this recording, it's only been a week since CordaCon 2021 took place. And uh, when we spoke earlier, you mentioned that you currently have a week off and you're having some well-deserved rest, but could you share some of the exciting announcements or maybe new projects you discovered during the conference that uh, you are now excited about? So I was in this conference. Um, I did two different talks. I'm a little bit biased. I thought those were very exciting. So anyway, I'll just throw the little call out to those. I was part of the court of payment solution. So court of payments being the ability to instantly and seamlessly create off-ledger payment transactions on Corda. So I'll just like decompress that a little bit. So the thing is with any sort of like value that you have on any blockchain or distributed ledger technology, there's this sort of, uh, this weird sort of like hesitation or this idea that first off, how do you get it on? And then how do you get it off? You need at some point to interface with the real world and be that sort of like transferring, you know, fiat funds from one account to another or to settle or take something off ledger, you, you need to kind of, you know, redeem that or pay that off or whatever. So in the past, across different platforms, this has kind of been a little bit of a difficulty. You'd either kind of delegated this to a central authority. Um, in the real world case, you know, if I want to create, uh, you know, buy some, buy some tokens on Ethereum or do something on there, I'll generally you know, get on board by going to Coinbase, Binance, or some centralized exchange to, you know, put some real money in there and then get that on. For Corda, you know, in the past, like when banks or when institutions had to transfer or, you know, actually grease the wheels in the real world, there was generally parallel solutions in place. So often you would 
kind of have some sort of like mechanism that would synchronize a transaction on Ledger and have those, you know, funds move on the real world counterpart, et cetera. Or you would, you know, build from scratch a payments integration on Porta. So you would say like, okay, this is my bank. These are the APIs I have access to, or this is my payment service provider. These are the functionalities they provide me. Uh, let's get some developers in a room and figure out how to, you know, format the request in the right sort of uh, protocol, like, you know, the ISO 20022 format and, or whatever open banking initiative, and then make that happen. But that's a big lift. It's like, it's not easy. So what we did was we said like, well, we can, you know, we're the experts here. Like we know how Quarter works. We can like create this for you and offer it bundled as a set of uh, APIs through an SDK. So we made a Quarter payment solution. And basically the crux of it was send a payment in three lines of code. And if you watch that talk, what I did was basically in the, the course of whatever it was, 30 minutes, um, just draft up an actual Quarter solution and then send a payment and have that payment kick off a callback or a response to send out a tweet with some details from that payment. So this is something that before would take basically the whole aggregation of my development team that was working on quarter payments, every individual corporation or you know, network, network consortium would have to get their developers and put in that time and effort. We did that. And then we offered all out of the box. So I thought that was really, really exciting. But I think I've spoke a little bit too much of that. The other um, talk I did was on Porta cross-network delivery versus payment. So an atomic swap, that's interesting. Now, moving to some really exciting stuff, which is beyond my own self-interest. Quarta 5 was released as a developer preview. So this is really a huge thing. This is a humongous thing that was released at QuartaCon, and I'm super excited about it. And just, you know, I, I would say like, I'm in the same boat as everybody in the audience. I'm not an expert at Quarter 5 yet because, uh, you know, my hands are, uh, you know, about as, about as wet as everybody else's. I've had a little bit of, you know, play with it before the developer preview. Uh, and what I've got my hands on is extremely exciting. So from functionality wise or fundamentally, just what you have to look forward to is the solutions that are already so robust and streamlined on Corda, you know, it's going to get a whole lot better. So resource management and code structuring, you can expect your development lead times to drastically reduce. There's a, an ability to kind of cherry pick layers of abstraction or functionality. So whatever your solution specifically needs, you're basically pulling out slices of the platform and including, you know, only those. So you get kind of as robust and lean as, as possible. There's move to Kafka queues, which is going to increase performance and scalability. And, you know, like I said, there's a slew of, of tools in terms of from a developer perspective that makes it amazing. But I think one of the things that makes it really great from a use case perspective is this sort of movement away from what has been the solution space up to this point, so up to this point when we have like quarter four, you know, we know what every sort of use case up to this point, um, whether it be insurance or, you know, whether it be supply chain or, you know, whatever the case, we know what that has entailed up to this point. And we had that um, in a big package of quarter four. But now we've stepped back and, and said, you know, it's up to you out there, like it's up to the public to start innovating, creating 
um, solution spaces that are faster than any sort of platform maintainer or organization can, can really sort of keep up with in the sense of saying like, this is the pattern you should follow. So by moving to layers, you have the opportunity to create, you know, sort of like permutations or specific, specific and like targeted instances of your core app um, to, to kind of harness as much scalability and inertia, whatever the use case can be. So I think that that's going to make a lot of innovation and creativity really flourish uh, and really promote the ecosystem. Another important topic that I like to speak on this podcast is educating oneself on blockchain. And the target audience of this podcast is mostly to accountants, doesn't have to be. But to those people who are interested to get involved and learn about Coda, but they are not necessarily, they don't necessarily want to become coders because I feel accountants need to evolve, but will not be coders. So what what some of the training and learning resources you would recommend to learn about Corda? So the first place I would always recommend people to go is, you know, obviously the r3.com website where you sort of get a brief overview. But extending from that, um, go to Corda.net. So Corda.net is slightly more developer focused and it's more related to the platform itself. Whereas, you know, r3.com is sort of the organizational view. Once you're there, you have the opportunity to access a lot of resources, that being like the documentation related to the platform, some of the key concepts or, or things that will get you up to speed on the basics of, of these different patterns that we discussed, such as like the consensus mechanism being sort of unique and some of the privacy uh, concerns and, and way that is handled being more tailored towards regulated industries. So these sort of like nuances will allow you to sort of make a critique or be able to understand the different options available and, and get a better depth of understanding of court in general. I think that besides this, when we talk about developers and this idea, I, I, I'm not an accountant, so I can't say about the future, but I would say that one really positive thing is to some degree, I feel that accountants like you all that are listening to this will implicitly become developers to some degree in the future. And there's this convergence in terms of the expertise and the feedback loops that you and the accounting industry um, and uh, these all sort of regulated industries um, are giving developers. And at the same time, developers are continuously striving to make things easier and easier. So if you ask me like, you know, would you be able to understand, you know, a payments workflow engine on, you know, on Corda in code or whatever, like a year ago, it would have been like exceptionally hard for a non-techie individual to kind of wrap their head around these mechanisms. But then when a year passes and, and you're just continuously striving to make it easier and more accessible, not just for developers, but for people interested in Corda who want to get started, you get to the point where you're like, you know, wrapping that in a three line or a single, um, a single statement abstraction. And then when you start talking about, I have this piece of code that says make a payment, or I have this piece of code that says, you know, um, query transactions with these filters, then it becomes, you know, not just an instruction for a computer, but a way for humans to interface with the solution to be able to understand it. So I think the journey involves starting to look at code 
but in a key sense, not becoming frustrated or intimidated by it because the thing is there's this conversions happening and that code um, along with your experience and your adeptness at understanding it will just keep getting easier and easier. And, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if like five years down the road when it comes to the segregation or the demarcation between a software developer on blockchain and a developer per se in a particular solution space, such as an application uh, like accountancy, that software developer might be more concerned with things like, you know, massive scalability or making sure that you know, all the T's are, uh, T's are crossed and the I's are dotted uh, from a security standpoint or a functional standpoint. And then the developers will really be the accountants. They'll be the ones that will be using some sort of, uh, you know, domain specific language or some sort of a one-to-one analogy. Like I, like I said, Corda flows are already so close to what you would have um, derived in the life cycle of a particular um, audit or asset or whatever process it may be. So yeah, you are the future developers, I think. The next question I have is, as someone deep in the blockchains, DLTN blockchain space, how do you keep educating yourself on blockchain? Do you have any, or, and also maybe when it comes to DeFi and tokenization, do you have any favorite podcasts or uh, learning resources, YouTube channels, or books that you could share with us? So with education, this is an interesting one. I've been so busy and engaged at what's going on like in my company right now that the learning has kind of been, you know, implicit. Like I haven't, you know, I'm just learning every day. There's some brilliant developers, brilliant minds at the company. I wake up in the morning and, you know, I chat to somebody and it's just like a cosmic explosion of the mind. So, you know, there's just no time for rest. And I think it's exciting because I never really get tired of it. So a lot of learning there is kind of having to get in and solve real world problems right away in the sense that, you know, we had a need to this year to bring payments and make them easy and accessible to Corda uh, solutions. So, you know, I was put on the payments squad to, to make that a reality and we achieved that. And then now kind of rolling up the sleeves and, and saying like, now we have a need to allow people to seamlessly create bespoke digital assets um, and then operate with those, like with as little sort of like legwork or initial lift as possible. And that's what I'll be kind of focusing on now. So I've been reading a lot of, I guess, some um, investopedia to brush up my, um, you know, digital asset space and capital markets as a whole. So things like, you know, I was never a stock trader. I would never into bonds or, or anything like that. And I, I've kind of had to dig in and dive in the deep end. So I, I think that understanding through, you know, these resources like investopedia or through, you know, your coworkers or, or listening to podcasts like this is definitely a way to go because there's never going to be a shortage of information. You'll always be able to be exposed to more education than you can probably inhale or consume. I want to give a shout out to, in terms of like cryptocurrencies and blockchain space, there's this, there's this guy on my uh, squad or like at my company named Tim, and uh, he's, you know, like a guru at just following you know, DeFi markets and, and just trying to understand, he, he, he'll just pull me aside and be like, do you have 15 minutes? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I do. And then he'll just like blow your mind with, you know, what he's been researching in terms of like, not just under, understanding, you know, something like compound, but you know, how 
compound would interact with some other sort of, you know, DeFi solution that he has going and how these things kind of all interoperate within an ecosystem across different sort of objectives and interests. And I think that, you know, having people around you that can um, inspire that and educate you like that is one huge way to learn. So if you have anybody at your company, go for that, make allies. Um, And if you don't, you can, you know, R3 is hiring. So you can join our company um, and we can have some real candid discussions on, you know, all this like future of blockchain and how everything's going. Let me think if I have any other suggestions or solutions. So, you know, podcasts and like formal materials, I haven't dug in that recently. I've been listening to this podcast, which, you know, blew my mind. That's kind of why I agreed to be on it. It's very interesting even from a non-accounting perspective. And I think that, you know, following the markets as well in terms of like, you know, getting, you know, being, being regularly visiting things like CoinMarketCap or, or, you know, going to some of finances, education materials, you know, it's all about, you know, free information and, and sharing the wealth. And I, I find that this is one of the really green things about blockchain as a as a sector is that people are really open about information and about sharing and knowledge. So just grab it wherever you can. That's what I would say. All right. You're right. That's the advantage of working in the blockchain space because you're learning while working. And uh, I will have a look at the R3 careers page as well. (laughs) As uh, closing thoughts, we're already coming to the end of the podcast. As closing thoughts, I would say the pandemic has accelerated the need for companies to go digital. And this new digital economy presents an opportunity for companies to build business applications using emerging technologies like DLT and blockchain. You've already explained it, but if in a few words, what message do you have for executives currently looking to implement blockchain and why should they consider Corda? Uh, I thought I could get through the whole podcast without like throwing out some cliche or something. But the thing is like marketing's been all up on us. There's this new sort of tagline for Corda. It's called like the power of three. Uh, Yeah, and I I made it through the whole podcast, but you got me here. So I just have to like roll out these three things, um, which is why people should consider Corda. And I I hope I get them right because it's not in front of me. But so the power of three, this is the thing, like Corda, number one, provides digital trust and digital trust, meaning that the platform asserts all of these things that you need and require in your day-to-day business operations in the real world, whether it be regulation or whether it be constraints within your organization that you know affect your bottom line and things that allow you to create and operate in an ecosystem that is frictionless due to counterparties having this established trust, this digital trust, uh, which you don't have to worry about. You no longer have to, you know, call up or, or like validate or audit or against like a counterparty interaction when all of this is sort of immutable and provided, you know, out of the box with Corda. So this idea of digital trust, which you would get on any blockchain, um, but I think what makes it on Corda unique and succinct is how seamless and powerfully it integrates um, within your existing system. So that's number one is digital trust. And then number two is like connected networks. Corda already being sort of like a permutation or like an, a, a sort of like a golden child of this 
collaborative innovation of all these different financial institutions and industries, like from the ground up being grassroots, I think that this has created an ecosystem where organizations that need to be connected, for the most part, you'll see that these consortiums or networks are already there, are already established. There's this, you know, vast wealth of interoperability just taking place, you know, already out there, um, whether it be on the managed core to network. So there's what you would say, like, is kind of like a pseudo public core to blockchain, which is basically managed and, and overseen by a, a, a nonprofit organization, uh, which is detached from R3's interests. So it's completely autonomous. Um, and this is, you know, a huge sort of like network of collaboration and innovation cross industry, which is already um, extremely active. Um, you add into this sort of the action and, and work with the central banks, uh, whether it be a central bank digital currency or in the cross border payment space. And then you have, you know, all of these bespoke ISBs, uh, independent soft, software vendors and, and SIs, which are just building on quarter daily. So you have this sort of ecosystem where not only can you create solutions and engage with your current counterparties and, and current networks, but you can expand beyond that, uh, which is the future of blockchain. Like where it's not about like one particular industry. When you, when you start saying like, I'm going to make, you know, a, a solution for, for lima beans or something that might seem simple. You might all make like, you know, a hundred million dollars off the, you know, the removal of friction in a, in a lima, lima bean supply chain. But what you don't see yet, or what maybe you see, but you're wondering, is it possible? is how are your lima beans, you know, affecting, you know, like adjacent commodities on some secondary market, like across the globe or whatever, like how are things converging and connecting in meaningful ways in traditional space before blockchain, you can never hope to, you know, aggregate or consume all of these different interactions, transactions and, and processes cross industry. But with the ability to say like, okay, we're already up on Corda, you're already up on Corda, whatever industry you may be, how can we create a solution together that is, you know, just going beyond and creating a, a value proposition, which was never seen before. And this is going to be something that is a reality day in and day out moving forward. Uh, so that's connectedness. And then I guess the third thing being regulated industry expertise or, um, you know, having this sort of track record of being able to say, you know, if you have an issue or you have a requirement that needs to be uh, addressed um, for your particular use case, whether that be something such as like, you know, enforcing a regulatory requirement on, you know, a, a transfer and asset between disjoint jurisdictions, or whether that's, you know, reporting or doing a batch uh, regular regular audit or you know some sort of pre or post process. Corda is building specifically that particular solution day in and day out um, throughout its existence. And at this point, uh, whoever is doing it, whether that's you know a certified Corda developer for a systems integrator or a consultancy, or whether that's a professional service engineer with R3 itself. Um, these people are amazing at that job and they're amazing at doing it. And this is something that is really, really valuable and special compared to, you know, another particular ecosystem or space where, you know, the contract right before your, you know, your global 
your global um, digital asset exchange. Right before that, the developers were working on, you know, like uh, digital monkeys on, on some NFT or something. I, I mean, I'm not bashing, you know, brilliant people because they're in all spaces, but I, I'd say that one of the value propositions of, of Corda and Corda certified developers is that this is their jam. Like it's straight up regulated industry and that knowledge just doesn't go away and it just continues to drive value. So that's what I'd have to say to execs. Brilliant. You could also work in the marketing department of, uh, of R3. So today, besides your developer hat, you had the sales hat and marketing hat. Thanks so much. <laughs> but, but don't tempt me. They have amazing swag in the marketing department. I'd be coming up with like hoodies every day and something. My last question, which I like to ask my guests, and you're allowed to get philosophical here. Do you have a quote or a maxim that you live by? Yeah, so I do. And I never really, you know, I never really put words to it too often, I guess. But I guess the crux of it is, I really believe, like in all of reality, that everyone is a friend and ally. And the caveat is some just haven't realized it yet. So just to unpack that, it's like, you know, that whole thing, like if you have two people on an island, um, they could be like brutal enemies or could have hated each other's guts. And there's just this common like trope or scenario where the two are just like forced to get to know each other and interact. And, and at that point, you know, you start to care about each other. You start to become friends. You start to leverage each other's strengths and, and work towards some common value. And I think that's what life is about, like my life. Um, when I look at things, it's all about perception and context. So, you know, we can, we come from different scenarios and different backgrounds, different areas of expertise, and, and that sometimes creates friction. But if you think about it, like that friction between interests, it's really down to either missing information or having sort of different views on the world at this particular point in time. And this idea or this axiom um, that I've kind of like lived with as a guiding principle, it's maybe it's what drew me to blockchain because in some sense, this is something that blockchain is specifically addre addressing. So right now, like in the fintech world, right, you know, and this is spilling more into our personal lives, the idea of a mutable consistent record is just, you know, bringing organizations closer together, uh, making things more um, understandable, more amenable, more proactive and, and you know, complementary in terms of like working together and more so understanding each other. And I think that as we move forward with blockchain solutions, this becomes, now I'm going to get philosophical for a second. This becomes really the crux of humanity in general. So what is bringing organizations together and what is bringing um, seamless transactions over, you know, monetary instruments or whatever, um, is eventually going to bring us together as humans and make everybody sort of much more peaceful or sort of like, I guess, an ally and a friend. And the reason I say that is that what we have now, if you take a dollar, it's really just an abstraction. Behind every dollar or every issuance of value is some sort of context or um, intent or human emotion or, or you, know, you know, drive. So, you know, I want that, you know, dollar or whatever, because I want to satisfy a need or, or something that I abstractly believe is important and is a value of mine. And when you start to seamlessly create new solutions, you can move away from really coarse abstractions. So blockchain is already doing this. You have, you know, we could transfer dollars back and forth, but if, if we're able to 
say we know what these dollars mean behind this transaction we can just skip that sort of like intermediary step and, and do something like a netting algorithm or transfer you know the idea of value in in ratios and then just settle it in dollars later so this sort of like encroachment into bringing deeper more salient meaning to uh, to interactions is is what is behind um, human interoperability and, and human cohesion, I guess. So everyone's a friend and ally. Uh, blockchain will just get us there a little bit faster. All right. Thank you so much, Anthony. You made the conversation very easy to understand for everyone. And I was able to understand everything, even though I, I, I have a like non, non-technical background. So thanks a lot for that. I really appreciate that. Thanks for your generosity for going in details but making the conversation very interesting before we go could you please share where can people find you on social media channels for example yeah so um my handle across different social media channels i uh, pretty much always go by a n i x o n 604 so that's a nixon 604 um, on twitter and then um, you can find me anywhere, like on LinkedIn, Anthony Nixon, Medium, you know, Anthony Nixon. So it's pretty much across the board. And, you know, if you want to ever reach out or, or send an email or whatever, my uh, email address at R3 is anthony.nixon at r3.com. So keeping it really simple. Yeah, either anixon604, hit me up on Twitter, uh, follow me there. Uh, and I hope to kind of like reach out and do a little bit more. So it's really refreshing to engage and you know converse at a really sort of like practical level because uh, i'm dealing with with code so much these days so this has been really enjoyable and i'd love to hear from anybody in the audience if you have a, a question or, or want to find out more you can contact me this has been really content rich and i encourage people to to follow your work and to reach out to you to keep learning about Corda. Uh, thank you thank you so much anthony We'll be in touch and we'll speak soon. Great. Have a wonderful evening and and keep listening to this podcast, everybody. (laughs) Thanks, Anthony. Bye. Bye. I would like to thank everyone for listening to this episode. You will find all the links of the episode, show notes and transcript on the website of The Accountant Quits at theaccountantquits.com. Please note that this content is for general information purposes only and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. If you do know anyone who could benefit from the episode and you care about them, please do share the episode with them. All the episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and by leaving us a review and rating, you will support the channel and all your fellow accountants. In order to be notified each time we release a new episode, do follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. We hope to have you with us next time. Bye for now.